0: Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great stuff, friends. So can we open up our Bibles, so if that's all right, to the book of Acts, chapter 17. So in the second half of your Bible, the New Testament, it starts with these four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after that, you get the story of the early church, and that's the book of Acts. And so, as always, if you don't have a Bible yet or you're kind of new into this Christian journey, uh, there are some handout Bibles. If you just quickly put up your hand, we'll gift you one of them. And at the end of the service, you can just give it back to us. So if you need one, it is there because at Hatfield, we are passionate about the Word and the Spirit and the people of God. Now, there's this incredible moment of vision that always stirs my heart that happened a couple of decades ago. And What transpired is that a couple of the VPs and executives of Disney Co. were standing on this hill overlooking the nearly completed Disney World complex. And at that moment, nothing like this had ever been attempted. This sprawling complex, this development of, at that stage, cutting-edge technology. And when they were to open these doors, millions of people a year would stream in and just be awed by what they had done. And the story goes that Mike Vance, director of uh, Disney World, was standing there and one of the guys next to him, he was just taking it all in. And as he was overlooking it, he just uttered these words. He said, man, I wish that Walt Disney could see this today. I wish he could see this. And Mike Vines turned around and he said, no, he did see this. That's why it's here. And every time I hear that story, I think that is Vision. You see, friends, something much more impactful and significant happened 2,000 years ago when this man, Jesus of Nazareth, post-resurrection, stands up in front of his disciples and he announces to them, now go to all the nations, to every nation and make disciples of them baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded and know that I'm with you to the end of the age. And then in that moment, the the match is lit on the greatest betterment project, the greatest force for good that has ever hit this planet. Nothing in all of existence in mankind has ever impacted the human race like the Christian church. Something started that day that would leave this planet. People throw around the word. You know, they went and changed the world. Like every Instagram guy with five followers, I'm going to change the world. But they literally, these ragtag, you know, group of young men and women enfilled suddenly with the Spirit of God at Pentecost. They literally went and changed the world. And just one small little thread in this beautiful tapestry called the Global Church over the last two millennia. One little thread of that story then picks up about 25 years ago in just one part of the church called the Doxa of Deo family. And a guy called Alan Platt is led by God. He feels stirred to, to start this new movement that has at its heart a very simple message to say that we want to make disciples that have a heart for city transformation. We want to make apprentices of Jesus that want to see their cities transformed to the glory of God. And we are not the answer. We are but one cog and a great machine to the glory of Jesus. But that journey starts. And now all over the globe, these campuses have stood up and we are working together with other churches for God's glory and for the good of cities. And then one year ago, there was another dream. There was another vision. And we said, God, we are trusting you for a brand new Doxodo campus in this place called Hatfield. And we said, God, we are trusting you that this space, like the rest of Pretoria, needs about a thousand new thriving churches. Churches that will praise Jesus, that will preach the Bible, that will follow the Spirit, that would have the heart of the city at their heart. And we started. And our vision evening for the handful that were there about a year ago, we started with these very words. Robert Lewis says this. He says, if your church closed its doors today... Would anyone but its own members notice? Would the city be saddened because such a great community transformation partner, a missionary of impact was gone? Or would it even miss a beat? And something in that little team's heart said, No, this city has to miss this church. (laughs) Not just this church, but every church. And we are passionate about planting a new church. And we said the Doxa family has these core tenets, but under that umbrella, there are these few things that excite us to no end. And we said, if these things stir your heart, come and join us. And these were the four things. We said, number one, that we want to be a community for the community. This has to be a place where you are deeply known. This will be a family on mission together. This will not be a crowd or a program that you attend. This will be a community for this city. Secondly, we said that we are planting our flag to death and becoming a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. We are going to be a church that looks like this city. People from every tribe and tongue around the King Jesus. Thirdly, we said we want to have a heart for the unchurched and the de-churched. There are so many people in our city who have no church background, who do not have the faintest clue about what it means to follow Jesus, are not searching for him, but he is searching for them. And we want to be a church that joins Jesus in that search. There are many other people that maybe grew up in the church that have walked a long road in the church, but somewhere disillusionment set in, somewhere offense set in, somewhere they got hurt, somewhere the church was fumbling in its way, stupid in its way, and it drove them out. And we want to be the kind of church that says we want to bring them back into the fold. And fourthly, we said we want to be a church that's passionate in our pursuit of God. We are going to have Jesus at the center and we are going to passionately run after him. And we said, join us if you dare. And now, friends, about a year later, almost to the day, we are finally in that home stretch moment because next month, on the 23rd of Feb, we are going to put the capstone on it. We are going to bring out the champagne and we are going to say this will now officially be the newest Doxodeo campus in Pretoria because Hadfield will be launching and it's going to be glorious. And I can't wait. And so, yes, that's great. You can, I'm always excited. He's paid by the church, so he has to be excited. Um, <laughs> another week he survives. Um, But we sensed at the end of last year, for this thing to work, friends, do you know that we cannot do this? When I say we, all of us, none of us can do this. No human can do this. No team, no church can do this. God has to do this. We can be faithful, but he has to do this. And so we sensed at the end of last year that there is a season that we need to go into, and we coined it move, to move from what was to what will be. And some of it was practical. We started just across the street in this little room at OM, and then we kind of outgrew that a bit, and we moved into a new venue. So there was a practical move involved, but we sensed that's just the outward thing. There was an inward move that God had to come and do in our hearts. If we are going to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, passionate church, man, God is going to have to come and stir many things in our hearts. A lot of things in my selfish heart will have to come and be challenged for the next couple of years. And so we said, God, take us on the journey. Start the conversation. And now we sense that that season is about to come to an end. The conversation is far from over. It's about to start, I think. But over the next five weeks, we are now starting a sermon series today. Five weeks, of course, we're calling it what? Move? What else? But we are trusting that in these five weeks, we are going to just speak about these five crucial things that we're saying, God, what do you want to move in us as Hatfields? So I want to say that if you are a guest here this morning, and for the next couple of weeks, this is going to feel like a bit of insider talk. It's going to be a bit of family. It's like a family meeting around the table. You ever have one of those awkward ones? You're like at your friend's house, and the dad calls everyone, and it's awkward because he's like digging into them, and it's like shouting, and you're just sitting there like, whoa, wrong evening to be here. Um, it's not going to be completely that, but it's a bit of that because we're going to say, God, where do we need to go? And so we're going to say over the next couple of weeks, God, move us in relationship. You can't spend too much time on it today because we're setting up the series. But in relationship, in faith, in service, contribution, and in comfort. And then we're launching. And then we're saying, God, let's go. So Acts 17, you are with me there. Move us, God, in relationship. So the Apostle Paul, just quick, a bit of background here. He was actually this guy called Saul. He was this high Jewish um, rabbi, very learned man, very respected in his community. And he was so zealous for the Jewish faith that he was offended by, deeply offended by this little sect called the, the little little Christ, the Christ followers. He was so offended by them that, in fact, in order to honor God in his mind, he would stamp them out. He would destroy them. and In fact, he he killed many of them. He was at the the charge of, of trying to snuff out the Christian movement. And so on his way to an endeavor like this on the Damascus Road, Jesus, resurrected, appears to him, and it changes his life forever. And he goes from Paul, the church persecutor, to Paul, the church planter. And so over the next couple of years of his life, he goes on these missionary trips over Asia Minor and Europe. And on the second missionary trip, he ends up in the city called Athens. And he's shocked when he gets there because he's going to plant churches and strengthen leaders and share the good news of Jesus and start these Jesus communities that we call churches. And he arrives at Athens. And verse 16 says this. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul stood, verse 22, in the middle of the area of Pagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar on which it's inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he's the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and he's determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they to live, He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. And this is crucial. For in him, in Jesus, we live and move and have our being. That's worth repeating. In Jesus, Paul says in conclusion, we live and move and have our being. You see, over these weeks, I want us to see there are these key moments, many more in the Bible, where people are not trying to manufacture something from the outside in, but God comes and He stirs something from the inside out. And friends, if that's not what's going to happen in these moments, then nothing will change. So Paul comes into the city of Athens, it's actually past its prime in this moment, so it's scrambling at anything, different economic and worldview issues, and very much like the city of Pretoria today, there are a whole bunch of different opinions in the city of Athens as to how you should organize your life, what's worth living for, why do I get up in the morning, what is my identity and purpose, where do I find my worth A whole bunch of different ideas. In fact, the the city is so full of idols and so many worldviews that Paul actually comes upon one that just says, to an unknown God, we'll just cover all of the bases. Even the God that I don't even know of, we'll even worship that God. Like the city of Pretoria, even people wake up and they are so ground to dust, running after career and sex and money and power and and fame and and body and and family and, and esteem that one day they wake up and they say to this unknown God that I'm slaving myself away for, why do I do this? And he walks into this place to come and share this good news that has absolutely transformed his life. And he's doing what we want to do. He comes to interface, to speak into the worldview of the people. He's not going to stand at some tower up there and scream at the people, serve Jesus, and he walks away and he says, let me come and speak in your language. Let me come and show you why your gods are insufficient, why the things you trust and will fail you, why Jesus is beautiful. And so the two main schools of thought that he has to now wrestle with, because these guys are deeply embedded in this culture, are the Epicureans and the Stoics. These are the two main schools that he finds in Athens. And the Epicureans, these guys are materialists. There's only the material world and they're atheists. And their big thing is life is there for pleasure. That's it. So we live for pleasure. And maybe pleasure is found in the sexual, the physical. And for some other Epicureans, it was in in tranquility and peace. That's the point. But life was about just running after what makes you feel good. And don't get in my way. It's a great worldview. And many people live like that. But then on the other hand, you had these guys called the Stoics. And they rejected all this pagan worship. They thought all these guys doing all these religious nonsense. It's stupid. They serve this kind of one, almost like world pantheist God. Everything's God. God is in all things. And, and God is found in all. God in all. All in God kind of thing. And they said that this is how you live your life. You grit your teeth. Everything is about self-discipline and control. You know, uh, good things in life are not necessarily to be treasured. And bad things in life are not necessarily evil. You're not put off by external things. And you're not excited about internal things. You are just self-disciplined, go-getting, push-forward, never-shaken, stoic. And so Paul runs into the city, and he hears in the one corner, the Epicureans are saying, enjoy your life. And the Stoics are saying, endure your life. And he comes in, and he says, come and find your life in Jesus. Come and discover true life in Jesus, because in him, not religiously around him, But in this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, that you move and you have your being. When he comes into your life, it all changes forever. You see, these Athenians had such a dry religious life that they got stuck in such an uninteresting way of practicing spirituality that no one wanted it. In fact, the two first leaders of stoicism committed suicide. It was not something that you necessarily wanted. It was the only game in town. And then rocks onto the scene, this ragtag group of young people called the Christian church. And they are so countercultural because they don't only look after their own sick and poor and widows. They look after everyone's sick and poor and widows. They not only suffer well and are persecuted and hurt, but they do it joyfully. They are not running after the temporary pleasures of life, but they enjoy life with a greater pleasure deep in their hearts. They say, I don't nearly want happiness. Happiness is fleeting. I want deep-rooted joy. There was something so different about them. They thought about sexuality differently. They thought about money differently. They thought about life differently. They thought about family differently. Everything about them was so counter-cultural. The world said, whoa, I need this. I don't understand it. Maybe I hate it still. I'm offended by it. But I need this. There was something about their faith that was so stirring to the people that two millennia on, the church is flourishing in every conceivable space on this earth. And if you ask me today where God needs to move us firstly, if we say, God, move us in relationship, every week we have one statement, we're going to end like this again. We're going to have a moment of prayer and just say, God, will you come and move us? Not we are going to make it happen. That's stoicism. That's Epicureanism. We will make it happen. No, God, you come and do it. In you, we move and have our being. What is that thing? This is that thing. We will end here again. I'm asking God on behalf of Dr. Hatfield that we would be the kind of church, the kind of people that Jesus, will you move us? toward a mature thriving faithful relationship with you that will draw people from every corner of Pretoria to your throne. Can I say that again? Because you are deeply unimpressed. <laughs> Jesus, will you move us toward a mature thriving faithful relationship with you that will draw people from every corner of Pretoria to your throne? amen. Why, friends? Because that is what Jesus does. And if we want to be a multi-generational church for young and old, if we want to be a truly multi-ethnic church for every person in the city, it will have to be Jesus in us, not us. It will not be gritting our teeth and making it work and flamethrowers and animals on stage and parties and giveaways and things. That's fine. I'm not saying anything, but I'm saying if it's not Jesus in the people, so beautiful, so captivating, so different, so countercultural, it will not happen. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my marriage. That's what I want for my kids, an authentic faith and walk moving in Jesus. So what does that look like? How will that move happen? Let me throw out one or two thoughts for you. I'm most definitely not going to get to the third one, but let me try. Number one, if we are going to make that move, if we are going to move in Jesus and he is moving in us, you will have to, you and I, will have to walk the discipleship road to discover a new life in him. Number one, a new life in him. That's what Paul is speaking of here. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone... What do you think the Greek for anyone means? It's a deep mystery, friends. What do you think it means? It means anyone. It's amazing. If anyone is in Christ, not if anyone is in church, if anyone does better, if anyone is moral, if anyone is good, if anyone stops swearing, if anyone is an upstanding person, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's it. The old has passed away, and see the new has come. If Paul was like a charismatic preacher, he would be running at this point. He's like, I'm doing so well, Paul would be saying, because that is fire right there. If you're in Christ, present tense, it's done. Past tense, it's done. Future tense, it will continue to happen. If you're in Christ... You will not make this happen by sheer force of morality. Jesus has to do it in you, and he will continue to do it in you. To the degree to which you allow the Savior and King into your heart, the degree of love and justice and truth and hope will erupt out of you. You know, in 2009, the University of Bristol, they housed a research team that completed the first ever global study on animal welfare in circuses. So interesting. And listen to the conclusion of their study. On one of their sub points, they said, neither natural environment nor much natural behavior can be recreated in circuses. And that's almost obvious. It's like, did we need a global study to know that? (laughs) That neither natural environment nor natural behavior can be recreated in a circus. Why? We know this. When you see a lion out in the wild, it's wild. It's intimidating. It's forceful. It's got this kind of king of the jungle attitude to it. It scares the living daylights out of me. But when you see it in the circus, when you see it in the zoo, it's got this dead, lifeless kind of eye look to it. It's timid. It's fearful. Why? Because you can crack the whip as much as you want. You can make the routine as sharp as you want. You can roll out the steps as much as you want. You will not get that lion to be a lion. The Christian church has flourished for 2,000 years because Jesus unleashed a set of lions in the spirit. And he said, come to me and I will show you what you truly are. You've been running after sex and money as the primary God of your life instead of something that should orbit around me. Then it finds its place. But come and show in my life. Let me show you what a true lion life is. It's in me. Let me teach you, disciple you, apprentice with me. Come and become human again with me. And then no routine, no rule book, no set of whip cracking will change it. It's when I am in you. It's when you are moving with me. It just happens. Friends, I hope you hear today that as you step out here, I'm not saying, guys, let's go and be that church. Just make it happen. Be better. You know, pull yourself out by your bootstraps. Be just the kind of peaceful, nice, righteous, non angerful It doesn't work. Do you hear it? It doesn't work. No, it's like, let's get deeper into who this Jesus is. And you're going to find yourself one day at, at work, and something's going to happen, and you're going to realize, what, what was that? It's not me, but I love it. More of that Jesus. I used to be the most angry, spiteful person in a meeting. And just a turn of phrase suddenly. And it's the fruit of this God, the Spirit. It's It's not the whole thing yet, but it's something. It's this Jesus. It's the lion coming alive. Probably my favorite album of the last 10 years, Christian album is this band called King's Kaleidoscope and this album is called Becoming Who We Are. Isn't that beautiful? Becoming, that's something that's happening, ongoing, who we are. That's biblical. That's 2 Corinthians. Jesus has done it. Now let's become it. I rest in the fact that Jesus has done it all, and I embrace it in faith and trust. I cannot do this. I cannot earn it. But He has done it, and there I I hold on in faith, and I'm renewed and restored and resurrected with Him. And now into eternity, I just become more and more and more of that. When that sinks into our hearts, genuinely, it sinks into every fiber of who you are. We will see people being drawn, not to a brand or a church or a team. They will be drawn to the King called Jesus. But secondly, it's not just that we need to discover a new life in him. Paul is challenging these Epicureans. He's challenging these Stoics with a new identity in him. That's a big one, friends. He's challenging them with a new identity in this Jesus. You see, every person, whether you are secular or spiritual, agnostic, I don't care, deeply religious, we are all scrambling from day one with all the resources available to us to try and be okay. I will use my career and I will use my money or my family or the, the degrees to my wall and the things that I can do or the person I can stand next to. I will use those things just to have some kind of image or identity that says you're okay. You're not a bum. You've made it. We all have that in us. And that thing is not wrong because we have the glorious image of God in us, but it's twisted into these other desires and we run after them tirelessly. A friend and I literally spoke about this quote. That's Jim Carrey who says, I wish. This is a guy who was on top of Hollywood and the, the comedy game for many years. And he says, I've got too much money that I know what to do with. And he says, I wish everyone could become wildly wealthy, famous, and fulfill all their dreams. So they too can know that these things are not the answer. That's Jim Carrey, friends. That's Ace Ventura saying that. And yet tomorrow morning, we're going to wake up, so many of us, mostly like three-quarters of the city, and we're going to run after those things again. Oh yeah, Ace, maybe not for you, but I'm going to make it. No, we need a new identity. Do you know that religion can be your identity? You can be here every Sunday, first in, first out, on serving on every team, praying all the prayers, saying all the things, dressing the way that you think I want you to dress, whatever that's like. You're doing all the things. And it's not because it's Jesus. It's because I want to be okay. God, have I done enough? Jesus says, that's not it. I need to come and do something much deeper in you than, than outward, you know, action change, than, than, than changing some of your behaviors. I need to come and do deep inward transformation of your identity. It's not behavior modification through Jesus. It's identity transformation through the gospel. You can change your behavior through many other good things in life. Those things are good. Self-help and positive psychology and do all of that. That's fine. But Jesus says, I want to do something much deeper than that. (laughs) Something that will literally ripple into eternity. And that is come and change the fundamental identity of who you are. And when I enter in, I don't enter in to make little adjustments. That's what C.S. Lewis says. You say, oh, Jesus, please, my finances, come, please, into my, come into my life. I'm in, in trouble. I'll give, you, I'll give you, you know, the living room of my house, you know, the, life, the, the house that is my life. So come and take the living room. But then he takes that seriously. You actually hold on to him in faith. And he comes and he says, no, I take the whole house. And you're like, okay, that's fine. But, you know, just, just that whole, please, and, you know, the bathroom's leaking and this. He says, oh, no, I've got big plans. And he starts knocking down walls and he starts putting in your wings and you're like, oh, that's, that's so sore and this is difficult. And you're ripping this thing out of my life and you're changing this. And this thing that I'm so dependent on, he's pulling that out from under you and it's hurting. And you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, I'm not building a little prairie house. I'm building a mansion for eternity. So trust me. I'm doing something deeply profound in you. At the very core of your identity. And people that live from that identity, a community that lives from that identity, people from every corner of our city, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, unchurched, de-church, will come, be stirred through relationship. I'm not saying come to a service. I'm saying in relationship, will come to the throne. It's what uh, Galatians 3.27 says so beautifully. For those of you who were born, baptized, that means submerged, fully dipped into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. You hear this language? He's trying to get it across, friends. Don't dip your toe into Jesus. Don't try Jesus for a weekend. Don't fit Jesus in the fitting room of faith. He says, get into Jesus. Let him clothe you Then what happens? Then there is no more Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female since you are all one in Jesus Christ. That's deep. That's identity. That's forever. That's change. And can I just read this to us, friends? I'm just thinking of this passage constantly. I'm going to read this to us every week going into this launch. 2 Corinthians 2.14. This has changed my life. It feels like it. But thanks be to God. If we think, how will this happen? How will people be drawn to Christ through my life, through my hobbies, through my work, through my parenting, through the people I see, through the people that know me so well? You're sitting there, you're thinking, those, those neighbors, those friends, they, they already know me. I'll never change. They will never, you know, I can never change in their hearts. They know me too well. They know me as the angry one. They know me as the judgmental one. They know me as the this or the that one. Listen to what the scripture says. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in what? In Christ's triumphal procession, it doesn't say who leads us in your great efforts, in your commitment to change, in your religious routine. It says that He is on a procession when the box were going through the streets. It was a procession of victory. It was done. We all won. We did nothing, but we won. Our kids were there. Now, Mia is three years old, and she won the World Cup, friends. How impressive is that? Because she was walking in the procession of the box. And Jesus says, when you in faith walk in the procession victory of Christ, you know what happens? When you genuinely let that come and challenge the deepest recesses of your character and heart. Not just go to church once a week. But when you apprentice with Jesus, what happens? It says, then... Through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ through those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That is huge. He's saying when Jesus gets into you at your work, where you play, where you hobby, where you parent, the fragrance of Jesus will start releasing in everything. We will not make it work. Jesus will let it happen. If he is moving in us. That's what John Piper says, you know what it looks like in the life of a believer when joy has taken over. I'm not there, friends. I'm not there. I'm not saying it's it's not a destination. It's It's a direction. But I don't even know if I'm often in the direction. Because I like happiness. Happiness is nice. A new car is happy. New house, that's happy. New clothes, that's happy you know, getting a chocolate, that's happy. I like happiness, but this is different. This is joy. Jesus says happiness is awesome. The Bible's full of happiness, but I want to give you more than happiness. I want to give you deep joy because the world can't rob you of joy. Cancer can't rob you of joy. Being retrenched can't rob you of joy. Our economy can't rob you of joy. Politics can't rob you of joy. Divorce can't rob you of joy. And so he says that's the kind of people that we will become when we enjoy the pleasures of this world in a way that shows that Jesus is greater than any earthly pleasure. When we go through suffering in a way that shows that the comfort of Jesus is greater than any suffering imaginable. When we love our spouses in a way that shows that Jesus is greater than any selfish desire we may ever have. When we sacrifice in a way that shows that the pleasure of Jesus is greater than any discomfort we may ever face. When we use our money in a way that shows that Jesus is greater than any temporary security that money could ever bring. When we live in a way that shows that Jesus is greater than life itself. That's when it's set in. When he is moving. So let me skip that third one. In closing, as a good friend of mine that I from school. We had some coffee this week. And it just jogged my memory from, you know, from school days. There was this guy, and I was thinking of him all week. And this guy was always, he was just such a good picture for me of just hypocrisy. Did you just hate hypocrisy? People who say one thing and do something else. And this guy was like that. This guy in our school. You know, he was... Always this, he had always this air of like the good guy kind of morality, didn't swear, didn't drink, didn't get drunk. You know, he, he was part of our Christian kind of little student union. They would organize worship events. He even did a little design for them like on their little pullovers that they wore that year. He was always, when he did worship events, he was right at the front, hands in the air. If you asked him about Jesus, he would wax eloquently about who he is. All these things, but if you, if you peel back the layers on his life... It was so different. He was, he was addicted to internet pornography. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. He was messing around with girls all the time sexually. He was gossiping incessantly about people behind their back. He had this deep sense of pride about trying to be better than everyone else. All these things. And that guy, I think about that guy because that guy was a phony. That guy was a fraud. That guy was a hypocrite. That guy was me. But you see, Jesus came into my life. And though I tried for many years to do this Christian thing, to no effect, Jesus, the one who moves, in whom we have our being, he came and said, come to me. Surrender to me as Lord and Savior. And it was never the same again. Is it perfect now? Is, it, is, it, is everything as it should be? No, it's a journey. It's a beautiful discipleship journey. But it was never the same again. And hear my heart. What I want for the city is not something from it. I want something for it. I want this for it. I want this for us. So will you stand with me? Maybe the worship team can join us. In the season, we say, God, as we are going to just a day of celebration, that's all it's going to be, this day of making a spiritual statement. Thank you for what you have done in this first season. Thank you for what you will continue to do. But God, will you move us? And today, God, we ask, will you move us in our relationship with you? Because this is what we're trusting for. And as we read this, will you make this your own? Jesus, I ask today, will you move us toward a mature, thriving, faith-filled relationship with you? That will draw people from every corner of Pretoria to your throne, to your glory and to their good. Let's pray. If you just have in this moment, just as the eyes are closed, just a sense that you need to raise your hands just to surrender to God, do that. I don't don't know why I just have that in my heart right now. But if you just have just the freedom to do that, just do that. Jesus, we pray this morning that you would come and so deeply embed yourself in us that the aroma of your character and your spirit would just flow, God, just emanate. And I pray for some people here today that have been reluctant, God, that have been keeping you at a distance, at arm's length. I pray for deep surrender, right? Deep, deep surrender of everything. Not of some rooms, but of the whole house pray, God, for 2 Corinthians, for those who are in Christ. I pray that those people will, as a sign of their faith in you, have them baptized, God, as apprentices of Jesus. I pray for us as a church this morning, God, that we would be deeply committed in our love for you we know that you are doing something special in the church of Pretoria, but also in this church called Doxa Hatfield. Move us, Jesus, move us.